Being categorized as disabled or handicapped can feel like you're moving forward in reverse. I'm your host, Scott Martin. Join me as I talk with my new friends from this underrepresented community about their views of life through their art, poetry, sport, and writing. Hey, life's a road trip. Hop in. Let's turn on some tunes and go. In the passenger seat and managing the radio during our 30-minute road trip today is Mark Jonathan Harris. Uh, Mark has won three Academy Awards, a London Evening Standard Award, a uh, NAACP Image Award. Awards go on and on. He is also a distinguished professor in the School of Cinematic Arts at the University of Southern California. So here we go. Hi, Mark. Hi. How are you, Scott? I'm doing fine. I have to tell you, um, there's a there's a comparison or something we get to to talk about. You've got a George coming up in one of the things that we're going to be talking about. And I have a George, it's my dog. And, and about 30 minutes before you and I got on, I took George out for a walk. And while we're in single digits here in central Wisconsin, eight inches of snow. And I don't know if you know the term of uh, uh, brass monkey. So yes, yes. Yeah. It's getting close to brass monkey here in Wisconsin. (laughs) So those people that may not know, it's cold enough to freeze the balls off a brass monkey. So uh, what I want to get into is, you know, when well, I, I'm in La- I'm in Los Angeles and the sun is shining. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. My <laughs> brother is around there too. And he was out golfing the other day. So I know about you guys. Yeah. Um, I want to get into one of the things that I stumbled on before, before we get into the story that I first found out about you. And that's why I got into reaching out to you is a documentary you did uh, 1997 release the long way home uh, for which you were a writer director and you won an Academy Award for uh, best feature documentary on it. Um, from what I got from it, I, I love the way it opened uh, in Dachau, uh, Germany. Then it segues into 1945 uh, and focuses on telling the story of the Jewish refugees and all the turmoil and that uh, after the war, and then it led up to the creation of the state of Israel. Now, I had been to Dachau a few years ago, and it's something I needed to do for myself as a former uh, teacher of social studies and history. And the way you did things was just amazing. I wish I could, I wish I was teaching a class now because that's something I would bring into the classroom for a way to present that portion of World War II. So, if you would go on a little bit about the long way home. Well, thank you, uh, Scott. Uh, that film <clears throat> came about because I was asked to do a film about that period from uh, 1945 to 1948. And up to that point, most of the films that had been made about the Holocaust, and there were many very good ones, uh, looked at the question of how could this happen? How could such an atrocity happen in the land of, uh, you know, Bach, Schiller, Goethe? Uh, And I thought I had nothing to add to that. But in that period, I was asking a a different question, and that's how can people recover, rebuild their lives after such a, a terrible catastrophe? So that was the question I was looking at. And people hadn't really begun to explore that. So uh, uh, th- that was, making the long way home was an opportunity to do that. And there were still several people 
uh, alive who remember that period. And we were very fortunate to be able to talk to them, to get some insight uh, to their experience and to find some wonderful footage to be able to tell the story. That's that's the one thing that really grabbed me. Now, last week I happened to uh, be substitute teaching in a history class that was, and the, the um, topic of the class is Russia, and they were getting into Putin. So I was able to talk about how my background in soccer is able to take me over to Europe, and I was actually visited the Soviet Union at the time, and we were able to. Uh, uh, I was able to talk about how I saw the contrast between how it was the Soviet Union and when I went back soccer again uh to russia and your presentation with that film is it really caught me because one of the credos i had as as a teacher was my mission is not to teach you but to put you in a position to learn and to be able to present things in a straightforward factual way to students last week and i talked to them about you have to understand that these things happen to real people, a lot of times your age. Uh, and anytime I talk like that into a history class, the kids are just wide eyed because then they get it. So in viewing a, a film such as uh, what you present and, and all of your stuff presents the same stark reality, uh, I think is fantastic as an education. Um, now, a similar film you had, and I, I looked at that too is Into the Arms of Strangers, which is a documentary about the British rescue, rescue operation uh, known as uh, Kinder Transport, um, about Jews and after after the war and things. So if you can talk a little bit about Into the Arms of Strangers, too, please. Uh, I was approached by uh, Deborah Oppenheimer, uh, <clears throat> whose mother was one of these children who uh, left Germany and went to England when she was uh, 11. And Deborah wanted to tell that story. And I had recently finished The Long Way Home, and I, I didn't think I had anything more to say about the the Holocaust. And it's such a difficult subject that I, I said no several times. But Deborah was very insistent, and she kept plying me with books about this experience. The more I read about it, the more I saw that uh, this was really a sort of a... a a larger story than the Holocaust. It was a universal story of children losing the the two worst things that could happen to a child, to lose your family and to, to lose your home. Uh, and so that was the perspective. That's what drew me into the film. Uh, I had written uh, in my very checkered career five children's books. And... Uh, a lot of the books that I wrote uh, are about children having to deal with problems not of their own making, problems created by uh, adults, uh, divorce, homelessness, and war. I mean, children don't start a war, but they have to live with the consequences of it. And so that that's what drew me into that uh, particular story. And again, I work with um, my editor, Kate Amen, who cut The Long Way Home, and she's just brilliant. And uh, we had a fantastic uh, uh, archival researcher. And 
we found people living witnesses who um to talk about this and some of these people but some of the the subjects in our film had actually never talked about their past before they didn't talk about uh their past to their children because they wanted to spare them the pain um but uh, they sometimes talk to their grandchildren uh that that generational separation uh i think made it easier for them but many of them hadn't really talked a lot about that experience until they talked for the film so the interviews were incredibly emotional um for all of us my uh cinematographer said he never shot so many interviews with tears in his eyes good lord i mean it you know when i get into and i'm just starting out doing the, the podcast thing um I don't know. Well, I, I study up on my guests, but when we're talking, you just got into something that allows me to segue into something specific to me in that the children on not being involved and they don't have, uh, they weren't responsible for it. I have five adopted children from different countries. I've got two from Romania and they were put in the orphanage because of economic reasons. Mm-hmm. Now that's European poor. African poor is much different. I have three kids, three separate kids from uh, Ethiopia. And the way things are done in Ethiopia to, for a child to end up in the um, in the orphanage is has nothing to do with money. It's who, if there is family there, they will take care of them. Now, my three Ethiopian kids, and we always thought, we always talked about this sort of stuff right from the start. They all witnessed each of their parents die of AIDS. Mm. So, and also being uh, African-American kids coming over here and we were living in Washington state at the time, just that same aspect of being realistic about things and not being afraid to talk about things, I think is extremely important. So just interesting how you got into something that made me think of something and we, to, to carry off over there. Well, it's interesting. A lot of my work, I mean, good for you to have, uh, um, to take in five uh, adopted children. Uh, the last big film that I did was a film called Foster, which um, I wrote and directed it. And it was on HBO. Uh, mm-hmm. And I spent, uh, Deborah Oppenheimer, the producer, and I spent four years making this film. But it also, uh, it, it deals with, um, you know, children who, for various reasons, um, had to be put into the foster care system. And in, in America, usually it's, uh, because their parents can't take care of them often because of poverty, mental illness, drug addiction, or a combination of those things. And it's uh, what happens in it. A lot of what I'm, I'm interested in, in in this is the resilience of children and how people cope with these um, really catastrophic, difficult events. I, again, it's loss of home and loss of loss of parents. And, how do you recover from that? How do you build a new life? Um, uh, that That's one of the themes that interests me. I, I, I think it's just amazing. You know, I had, I had looked up on Foster, Every Child Needs a Family, and I read one article that talked about the film was the LA Times, a writer from the LA Times, described as disturbing, disturbingly accurate. Um, 
I think that I would think that you take that as thank you very much because you're trying to be make a disruption, right? By being honest. Yeah, you're trying to. I mean, I think all my documentary is certainly about <clears throat> you explore a subject and you try to communicate what you've learned from this experience and you try to be as faithful to your experience as um, possible in, in communicating that. Um, and, you know, it's very difficult. I mean, you deal with the foster care system. I mean, one of the things that we were struck by was the, the incredible um, compassion of a lot of the uh, social workers and their dedication to the job. But it's also, it's, I mean, to be, to, be uprooted from your family is a trauma that's uh, really very difficult to overcome for many people. Uh, so good for you in ha- taking these f- your f- five children. Um, it must be a very interesting family, Scott. Oh yeah, it was very. You know, the the youngest one now is a junior in in college. So you know that's what brought me around back to uh, um, living in Wisconsin now and and getting back into the classroom and, and coaching. But we'll leave that for another time. Now, the reason why I started this podcast, well, there was started with uh, me pitching a book and, and uh, uh, publishers saying, well, you, you need a platform. You need a platform. Okay. So let's try this and targeting or working with, because I'm handicapped, working with the handicapped and disabled community. Now that led me to, um, uh, I got in touch with Sarah Watkins, who is the, um, the head honcho at Spoonie magazine. Right. And Sarah brought me into some things and printed a couple of uh, my chapters. And then as I was looking around for, um, uh, for guests, yours was one of the first, your, uh, the, the um, uh, short story that you wrote called mute. I started reading that uh, while I was substitute teaching. Uh, and, uh, I just got caught up in it and I want to get into, this is where George, the monkey comes up folks. I was talking about George, my dog. So if, if you would Mark go into, just talk about mute because I thought it was, uh, yours and that's how I contacted you, you and your son. So go ahead, please. Um, it, my grandson, uh, my eldest grandson was uh, diagnosed uh, on the spectrum um, uh, when he was three or four. Actually, he got many conflicting diagnoses, but uh, I he didn't speak. He exhibited, and he was he, he was withdrawn. Uh, he displayed many of the symptoms of of, of autism, although. My daughter and her husband recognized some of them, took them to a doctor and got conflicting opinions. And I saw their tremendous confusion uh, and they didn't know where to turn. Uh, they didn't, you know, they went to one expert after another um, and they're giving conflicting advice. But it was clear that um, my grandson was experiencing certain challenges. He wasn't speaking. He was, you know, very withdrawn and, and, and but he, in other ways he was also engaged with toys it was just very confusing um and because of that and you know as 
my wife and I, our grandparents, we didn't know anything about autism at this time either. Um, so then I had that, because of that, I had the opportunity to get a grant from the Agency for Health Research and Quality uh, in Washington uh, to develop a website that, that uh, sh showed the best evidence-based treatments on autism and to show this in video. So that I, for about five or six years, I was involved in this. Um, and I learned a lot about autism. And um, also through watching my grandson go through different treatments, he was, he, he encountered a, a kind of marvelous therapist, floor time therapist, who really, I think, you know, kind of saved him and uh, who met him where he was and he started to talk, uh, um, and he went into occupational therapy. He went into, you know, speech therapy. Um, luckily, his parents and we were able to provide the kind of services that made a difference in his life. Uh, and now he's, you know, finishing high school. He's playing basketball. Wow. Uh, wow. You know he's he still has a lot of challenges, but he's he's thinking of going to college. I mean he's um, uh, but after we finished the website, I still was not finished with the story, and I wanted because uh, a lot of the website we in the website is has thirty two different videos, and I'll talk a little bit later mm -hmm. about why videos are so important, but talking about the story, it's, it's really, uh, the website's divided in three parts. Uh, it's understanding autism, treating autism and living with autism. Uh, uh, we really expanded the scope of the, of the website, uh, uh, from our original mission, but it, they're all, all most of these are about child, child centered. It's about children's about early diagnosis, uh, and I wanted to look at the story from the perspective of the parents, in particular from a father uh, who the question of when you have children, you have certain dreams for your children. It's inevitable. Mm -hmm. And confronting the gap between your dreams or your fantasies, which are for you, really, mm -hmm. um, and the reality of your child and facing it, that was what I wanted to explore. And also to, to the desperation of, of, of a father to be able, wanting to communicate to his son how the lengths that he's willing to go. I mean, and, and because of it, he adopts a, Brings a monkey. monkey into the house, George. <laughs> yeah, yeah. because because the boy's favorite book is you know Curious George. George, uh, mm -hmm. and so and he responds to a monkey, and so the the father's willing. Okay, this is this is going to be the key. There's going to be a key to mm -hmm. a secret to um, turning my son into what I want him to, I hope for him. And it's, that's, that's what the, what the story See, is about. Creatively, when you started getting into the monkey thing, it made me pull back. What? Um, but I, I got it because you did a great job of setting that up 
by presenting Curious George, and you started showing how Samuel, the son in the story, was getting into this monkey, this stuffed monkey that the father bought him, and he was starting to open up. And at that point is when I stopped reading and I went and opened another tab on the uh, laptop and I went in and wrote um, autism movie 1978 or something. And then, and I remember seeing this movie, it was ABC, like Tuesday nights made for TV movies back when they were to do that. And, it, and it, I looked it up. I was pretty close. It was a 1979 made for TV movie called Sunrise. That's S-O-N-R-I-S-E. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's about the real life scenario. And it uh, the, the, the kid now is all grown up and he does speaking on things. So I, re- I remember that movie and I must have seen it. Um, and that's where I first started learning about autism. And it seems like that's what you're trying to do by going into it even further with your uh, your um, website called Interacting with Autism on the, the three parts. So now I get it more of what you were doing was you did the website and all of these understanding and all the, the three parts to, to that. And then you went back. What made you want to write a story? Is it to help promote? the website or was it no, just you wanted no, a period was, you know you, you i write so i'm primarily a filmmaker but as i said i i wrote five young adult books during my career and i've written short stories before and i often write to try to understand experiences or, or, or to, to explore things that i wasn't able to completely understand at the time i was filming them uh that were still things that were still haunting me. And I think, you know, in, in terms of, you know, these stories all connect to your own biography, your own mm-hmm. personal history. And, you know, the idea, I mean, I had, my father had certain expectations for me that I did not fulfill. Uh, oh, come on. Okay. I won't get into you know, reading no, through no, all my, of your, my, okay. My, fa- my father, I mean, this is a true story. You, you saw the long way home. Uh, yeah, yeah. So uh, after the one Academy Award, my parents lived in Pennsylvania. We were in Los Angeles, but a uh, film crew came from a small town, Scranton, Pennsylvania, where my parents lived to interview my parents uh, about their son winning the Academy Award. And okay. I said to my mother, well, what did, what did dad say? And she said, he said, uh, I wanted him to be a lawyer. Okay. So, you know, uh, uh, there's certain things that uh, I had a conflicted relationship with my, with my father in some ways. So you, you draw that in, but it's also, it's like, I've, I've saw that with other parents, you know, it's like trying to face the fact, okay, my son is not what I imagine him. Oh, or, now or I get I it. What I hope for him to be. Um, but okay. But that doesn't, you know, Meeting your son as who he was, so that was mm-hmm. that was that was that was really p- part of it. And it was also it's like, what can I do? You know, it, it, again, it's we were talking before about accepting reality. Um, mm-hmm. You know, 
um, my son has certain challenges. Um, uh, That doesn't, you know, so much of autism, uh, a lot of the early research, a lot of it, or even treatment is focused on the deficits of a child rather Mm -hmm. than the child's strength. It's like, okay, we got to fix, you know, he has a problem here. Let's fix that. Let's fix these. Mm-hmm. But rather than seeing the child as a whole and and recognizing the child's strengths. Well, that must be what you were trying to do or you did. I feel like you were successful at it. On, uh, in uh, in the uh, interacting with autism, the, the grouping of videos mm-hmm. that you guys did, under, understanding uh, the parents' perspective, sensory issues, diagnosis, and things. But one of the things that I, I got, I believe it came up in that grouping, was the vaccine controversy. And now yeah. we're getting into modern day, okay, social media, Jenny McCarthy presenting all that uh, AD and HD and autism, uh, that maybe vaccines caused all of this, and how nowadays one one person says or writes one thing and it just balloons into something else. Um, uh, how did that Jenny McCarthy stuff, uh, uh, was that, did that bring up autism again as, okay, now let's talk about it in a factual way or did that hurt? We had, yeah, I mean, we had to talk about it. I mean, the, the, there's always, since there've been vaccines, there've always been resistance to vaccines historically. Um, and, you know, now we see it, um, oh, yes. uh, full blown, you know, uh-huh. in, um, in resistance to the COVID vaccine. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at, at, we did this before, you know, prior to COVID, it was an issue that we, we felt that we had to, to tackle because there was so much, there's so much inf- misinformation. I mean, so what we tried to do, um, our pitch to the Agency for Health Research and Quality was we want most of the material that was available on autism. And it's certainly when my, my daughter and husband were looking, it was all text-based. And uh, uh, you, you didn't see autistic kids. You didn't see their parents. You, and, and we wanted to do something in video that was more experiential, more emotive, because people also retain more information from video than they do from text. Uh, hmm. And uh, a two-minute or two, a short video can have much more impact than, uh, you know, five or ten pages of text. So, um, and we wanted to show the treatments. Uh, um, uh, so that was that, that was our, our, our pitch. And uh, the website, we did, you know, a lot of research after we uh, uh, got the website up and running. And uh, uh, because when you have government grants, you have to justify the money that you, you've spent on this. <laughs> yeah. uh, and uh, the research showed that, especially for parents with newly diagnosed children with autism or just worrying about symptoms that the uh, the website provided more information and made them feel more hopeful, mm-hmm. gave them more of a sense of agency uh, that they could you know, do something to help their children uh, in the whole treatment section. Cause there are a lot of different treatments 
there's an overview of how do you pick the treatment that's best for your child. You know, there's occupational therapy, speech therapy, there's floor time, there's ABA, there's a teach early, you know, child Denver model. I mean, uh, early start Denver model. Uh, that no treatment I mean, is right for every, every child. child. Right. Uh, and this gives parents some sense of how to begin thinking about it. So the, the, mm-hmm. web, the website has been very effective. It's also in Spanish. And then we were fortunate we did it in, in Mandarin as well because I, I went to China um, on another program that I've been involved with. And I visited a lot of places. And China had very little government, almost no government support for uh, autism. It's mostly nonprofit organizations. And they were years behind in treatment for autism. And uh, I met someone in China who was willing to uh, put up money to uh, subtitle all the videos, the 32 videos in um, Mandarin. And uh, it's... I think our second biggest audience on the website is in China. That's fantastic. You know, just so listeners are aware, um, at least on the uh, website for Life's a Road Chip, we're going to be having a link for interacting with autism and also Great. for mute. Uh, oh, definitely. And uh, things in that order. Um, I have to tell you that something to maybe be aware of, because this is concerning to me as a substitute teacher. Um, I get jobs popping up on, on the phone and I can grab things or not. And because of my handicap, um, I don't take special ed jobs because the kids are more interested in my hands than anything else. But I have to tell you, Mark, it's disturbing. Um, how many special ed jobs are coming up because I think there's a great deal of burnout. I don't think they have that many meetings to go to. Uh, as a group, but there are special ed jobs that pop up for subs all the time. I mean, just multiples uh, throughout the day. So there's a problem. And I think that uh, people, I, I hope we can come to grips with it. Yeah. So. yeah I mean, in the public schools, there is not enough. I mean, no. uh, and there, the, the big gap in autism treatment really is between uh, it's a gap that reflects the the gap in inequity in our country between rich and poor. People, yeah, 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 I, I, yeah. Somebody else could take that show and really run with it. Um, wow. I don't yeah, because see, it's really true. Uh, in the black and Hispanic community, Latino community, there's less early detection. There's less early treatment. Mm-hmm. Um. Uh, in more affluent communities, there's greater recognition and people can afford it. These treatments are expensive. We were fortunate um, to be able to uh, help our daughter and her husband, and they were able to afford um, treatment for their son. And it's early early detection. Early detection. Treatment is is extremely effective. Being proactive. Well, let's uh, shift gears, and I want to get to to wrapping up the show. Uh, We're going to do this is what we're going to be doing for every show. Uh, I call it the road excuse me the road trip roundup. So okay, just 
chillaxing a little bit as if, you know, we're on a road trip or just talking to you about driving around and things. So, Mark, uh, what's your go-to fast food when you're on a road trip? Um, I guess I love... My wife's a vegetarian, but I still like hamburgers. Okay. All right. Just pull through McDonald's and grab a couple of cheeseburgers? Uh, not, Mc, not McDonald's. But <laughs> <laughs> they have a little great bit French level. fries. Yeah. yeah. But, but uh, <laughs> no, I try to find other restaurants, but hamburgers are often what I eat. Okay. Yeah. Because it's quick and easy. All right. Uh, what's your dream car for a road trip if you don't already have it? Um, we had a. A uh, Ford Mustang convertible oh, many years ago that we, w- when we lived in Seattle, it was a great car. Then it, w- it was such a great car that it was stolen. It was never the same afterwards. And, oh, man. Uh, but I, that w- I love that car. Pop that. Yeah. Sue has a, we, we did a uh, an early retirement gift to ourselves when Sue wanted to get into something else and we Got a convertible bug. So, yeah, I hear you about convertibles. Okay. Last cassette or CD that played while you're on a road trip? Um, it, it was Charles Lloyd. Um, uh, either it was Charles Lloyd, and I forget the, the title of the album, uh, or one of Keith Jarrett. Uh, I, I like jazz a lot. So cool. Charlie Hayden, Keith Jarrett. Charles Lloyd, those were, but I, I forget the titles of their those particular albums. I have a lot of albums from both of them. Jazz is great for road trip. Yeah, yeah. chillaxing and driving. Okay, Coke or Pepsi when you're out on a road trip? Oh, uh, neither. <laughs> yeah, what do you What do you guys drink? Uh, iced tea. We we drink okay. iced tea. Uh, uh, okay, let's wrap it up with, what's your favorite road trip memory? Um, I think uh, when we moved to Los Angeles, uh, we had been living, uh, I've been working in Montreal, and um, my wife and I and our two children, uh, I think our daughter was six, our son was four, and our beagle dog drove across country in a a big Ford station wagon, um, Mm -hmm. which the kids, we kept for a number of years, the kids called the, the... car the disgrace (laughs) 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 it it, uh, because it 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 survived several winters Um. tough winters in montreal but anyway i remember coming across and uh coming uh and that the car had no air conditioning and so at night we were advised to uh come from nevada across the desert at night you know, oh. so 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 it was cooler, and the kids were in the back seat with uh, ice, uh, cooling down the dog. I remember that. Oh my gosh, <laughs> Ford uh, Country Square. Yes. <laughs> was it? Anyway. Uh, was that the in the back? Was the back seat the, facing yes, the back? The back in the back. Yep. Yes. Yep. Yes. I exactly. remember. Those. Oh yes. God. Oh uh, yeah. And w- when we finally. <laughs> When that car finally gave out, we we uh, held it for a, a long time. We all went to the place where they trashed the car, the cars, the station wagon. Uh, they crumbled them they up. They crushed we it. Went, we, yeah, you watched them crush it. it. Yes, we did. <laughs> we all said goodbye. <laughs> oh, that's fun. Oh my gosh. Okay. Hey, let's wrap it up on that. And uh, again, I really thank you. This is going to be going out. It's going to be dropping as our first 
true episode on January 3rd. I'll send you a link and we'll go from there. And, and any of our listeners, they want to get in touch with Mark, come through me. And because on the website, again, my email address is there. So we'll get you in touch with Mark. And again, links to uh, uh, the story mute that Mark wrote and um, uh, also his other websites and things are going to be on, on the website. So thank you very much again, Mark. You take care. Scott, my, my pleasure. Thank you. Yeah. Good luck with uh, uh, your, your podcast. I'm honored to be the, your first official guest. I appreciate it. You take care. All right. Thanks. Thanks. Bye. Thanks for listening. Check out previous episodes with new ones dropping each Tuesday. If you don't see a synopsis of this show where you're listening, visit our website at lifesaroadtrip.podbean.com for more information on this week's guest. This is your host, Scott Martin, reminding you that life's a road trip. 